0: chapter 11 ensnare the hare march 1774 the king's highway just outside boston was frequented by travelers traders soldiers and undesirables all the same coming from cambridge the caravan was going to cross the muddy river within the next few hours just before noon attahee james Robinson, nix Nimish and Shakespeare were concealed in their positions and had verbally discussed a plan numerous times. Once the caravan crossed into the kill box, all four would erupt with musket fire, dropping the officers on horseback first, then moving to the foot soldiers. Adihi would unleash his barrage of arrows from a separate, further position than the others just east down the road. Once the officers were down, all five were to move in, utilizing the concealment of the trees and waist-high shrubs, then kill the remaining foot soldiers in taking the king's coin as their prize. Their exit would be prepositioned rowboat on the bank of the muddy river leading into the bay heading north. In times like these, Adahi was always wary of deafening silence in the wilderness, and today his wariness was strong. Adahi was also anxious. This was his first real test after joining the King's Bane. He wanted to prove he was worth something to the others. He knew the plan well, and wanted to execute it expertly the others were so well concealed he could barely make out their locations after settling into his position a few hours ago he had lost them to the brush an eagerness consumed atahe as a caravan could be heard nearing the killbox. he wanted to earn the respect of his peers not just have them quasi respect him because of his uncle's influence through the pines and birch coming into view atahe could see them the element is comprised of three officers on horseback leading the caravan, followed by two large, horse-drawn wagons controlled by one soldier apiece. In the rear, there were two officers on horseback, and between them, the wagons were twelve British light infantry on foot. Adhi ensured he counted five officers on horseback and twelve foot soldiers. They each carried a brown vest with a cartridge container and bayonet. The caravan seemed to slow as they approached the kill box or he was just overthinking the situation. The tension began rising over the area. He could feel that clearly. He didn't move, and he watched the British soldiers as they neared their soon-to-be permanent home. The fallen tree had concealed Adahi's body, allowing him to slowly draw his first arrow. He pulls back on the drawstring and slowly rises the arrowhead above the sideways tree. Musket fire erupts from the flanks, initiating the fight, and so begins death, collecting his reward. Thwip! The first of Adahe's arrows impact the lead officer's chest, slicing through the top half of his chest and out his back. The momentum from the arrow brings him off his horse and to the ground, quickly creating a pool of warm blood. Precise musket fire from the others in the flanks focuses the seemingly confused men's shots and attention. Adahi rips three accurate arrows into the air one after the next. Thwip! 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 Each arrow finds its intended target and kills him quickly. The first two arrows find the upper half of the other lead officers on horseback, killing them as they slump over their dazed horses. The last arrow impacts a lead wagon driver in the abdomen. He keels over, bringing the first wagon to a halt. The two canvas wagons stop shy just to the kill box, and more British light infantry soldiers exit the rear openings of each wagon, one after the other, redcoat after redcoat, until the road was nearly covered with them he counted 15 soldiers flowing out of each of the wagons. Fuck, that's not coin or fur, he quickly thought, looking around at the scene that was unfolding. Realizing they were in a trap, he quickly noticed their enemy went from 18 soldiers to 48 in a matter of moments. The flanks were too close to the target, and they have already given their positions away. The redcoat numbers were dwindling, but still, the King's Bane quickly found themselves outgunned. James Robinson was on the far northwest side, the flank 3 position, and was pinned down by a squad of soldiers. They had formed a wedge and began sending out more soldiers to root him out. Nimish was behind a thick tree a few yards off the road in a southwest sector, the flank 2 position. Having fired off all three shots, each killing their first targets, he was noticed by the new soldiers out of the wagon. The light infantry are skilled killers as they form a coherent wedge with a column of soldiers. The first column on a knee, firing and reloading, while the column of soldiers standing behind them fired and reloaded as well. They begin timing their shots in synchrony, allowing one to reload while one shoots until there is no space between their shots. he knows the plan has gone awry and needs a course correction, now. Removing himself from the concealed position, he moves toward the chaos, taking cover as he moves. Quickly sprinting, he puts a bow and arrows back in the quiver and removes a tomahawk and war council dagger. He moves through the wilderness like a ghost quickly through the trees getting closer to his king's bane companions. Flank one! Flank one! He distinctly shouts through the chaos. Here! Shakespeare's voice clamors through the destruction from behind a fallen tree. he jumps into the concealment position as a lead ball rounds fly into the vegetation around him, impacting the front side of the tree. The noise is incredible. Blending shouts from dying redcoats and redcoat officers trying to coordinate the attack can be heard between musket shots and their end impacts on trees and bushes. We need to get the fuck out of here now! Shakespeare says loudly, trying to be heard over the chaos. We will. Cover me, Shakespeare. Shakespeare looks at the young man in confidence and nods. Adahi climbs out of the concealment position and runs between the trees directly at the closest formed ten-man wedge. The musket fire is grossly intense. The lead ball rounds impact the trees around Adahi, snapping into branches, nearly missing him. His breathing is smooth and steady. The grip on his tomahawk becomes tighter, and he focuses in on his target. Once the immediate fire is focused off Shakespeare and the flank one position, he takes his modified musket, fires, and takes out two men of the wedge, creating an opening for Adahe to pierce. Adahe sprints toward the wedge, seeing the two men fall, he raises his tomahawk and throws it, splitting another soldier's forehead. He leaps through the opening of the wedge with the war council blade in hand and thrusts it into the neck of the next closest soldier, bringing him down to the ground, snapping his neck in the process. The six other soldiers of the Wedge are taken by surprise and scatter from their defensive position. Clarity controls his thoughts, and he moves with precision, unmatched. One of the soldiers with a loaded shot fires and misses Adahe barely. Adahe quickly removes a tomahawk lodged into the dead man's face and low steps forward, inserting a blade underneath the chin of the next nearest soldier. The man's body stiffens, and Adahe removes his blade. An outful of blood follows spraying the immediate area. He finally re-readies his stance. A redcoat with not enough time to reload uses his musket as an axe and swings at Adahe's head. Using a tomahawk, Adahi blocks the incoming musket thrust. Turning around quickly, Adahi stabs him in the neck with a sharp steel knife. The gunfire from the other British defensive position still deafens the day and is keeping the others pinned down. Death begins to blanket the area. The two soldiers stalking up to James Robinson's position are quickly met by the large African man and his flintlocks. He rounds a tree with the two pistol barrels, almost touching the soldiers' faces. He fires and tucks back behind the tree and reloads his handhelds expertly. Down the road, Nix was trying to get off as many shots as she could during whatever interval she found at the flank 4 position. She reloads her musket and takes another shot, taking down another soldier on the defensive wedge closest to her. The soldiers quickly fill the gap. he kills the last few soldiers and sprints back to the consumer position where Shakespeare is located. The shots are still erupting on the road, but no shots are impacting this sector. Shakespeare watches as Adahe sprints back to the position. What a mess, Adahe says as he jumps back into the concealment position. You said it. They came prepared to the nines. Why are they here with so many men? How would they know? Shakespeare asks quickly as a word seemed to rush out of his mouth. Who knows, but we need to get out of here, alive. Adahe replies as he takes a knee peering from behind the fallen tree and surveys a carnage taking place. Right, it looks to be Flank 2 is getting annihilated. We need to establish a new sector of fire and eliminate that threat, he says as he loads his two long muskets before returning them to his back. He removes a bow and arrow, having a great vantage point from this position, pinpoints a cluster of men, and begins rapidly sending accurate arrows toward the enemy. Thwiped, thwipped, thwiped, thwipped, thwiped, thwipped. Now let's go, Adahe says on the release of the seventh arrow. Each one of the arrows let loose impacts a soldier one after the other dropping their bodies. Adihi was deathly precise with his bow shots. Shakespeare and Adihi stand up and sprint toward Nimish in a flank two position. The musket fire continues barraging the other flank positions on the far side of the road. Seeing vulnerabilities, the in-command British corporal starts calling for a regroup in defensive positions. Nimish, how are you holding up? Shakespeare asks him as the two men arrive in Nimish's position he pulls out his flintlock and quickly fires into the closest cluster of soldiers. Gentlemen, I believe I have been hit, he says, unfortunately looking down at his abdomen. What? Where? Shakespeare questions quickly, examining his friend. Nimish's right hand is holding his bloodied abdomen, trying to keep the pressure on the wound. I've lost too much blood, Shakespeare. I know that it is certain. Death is near. Let us finish today and worry about me tomorrow, he says weakly with a dulled smile. "'Unfortunately, he's right. We need to get the fuck out of here. Get Nix and James and get the fuck out of here. All of us. This whole thing was a trap for us. We need to leave now,' Addy says determinedly, looking at Nimish and continues. "'We reach the others on the far side of the road, and we can make our way out of the channel, on the rowboat, and into the bay. From there, we can get you back into Boston and to the physician.'" Shakespeare and Nimish nod in agreement. Utilizing their concealment position, the three men stand and begin firing their muskets into the remaining 20 or so soldiers. Nix and James Robinson notice the three cross the road, coming near their positions, and tactically retreat toward them. The two of them are deadly in their final shots, covering the other three men as they all move to the pre-placed rowboat. From the neck of Boston, just outside George's Tavern, Major General Agador Ivy heard the musket fire erupting directionally west near the muddy river. He knows immediately his trap has sprung. His team of 10 horseback riders follows their commanding officer as they ride toward the chaos stemming from the wilderness. He knew a handful of rebels wouldn't be able to survive an ambush of 40 plus foot soldiers and he was excited about the results. He eagerly raced quickly to where the ambush was taking place and the riders behind him were trying to catch up. Moments later, the woods cease all sounds, and as the Major General approaches, the scene, all that can be heard, are the echoes of groaning men gasping for air, slowly dying. The musket smoke clouds the area, making it difficult to see far. The Major General dismounts his horse and unsheathes his sword, cautiously walking to the center of the ambush, completely disregarding the dying wounded soldiers and their cries for help. Through the moans of the wounded, he faintly hears voices near the river in the distance. He moves toward the sound. Come on, Nimish, stay with us. We're getting in the rowboat now. The words leave Shakespeare's mouth filled with a noticeable hope. Nix throws her muskets into the boat and hops in, helping Shakespeare lay Nimish down on the deck carefully. Stop talking, James Robinson assists as they climb into the rowboat, trying to stay silent. he pushes the rowboat off the bank and enters the vessel. He and James Robinson grab the oars and begin power rowing, trying to reach the mouth of the river as quickly as they can. A few strong rows and they are off and moving quickly downriver. SNAP! A lead ball round impacts the aft of the rowboat, splintering wood into the air. Fuck! Who the fuck was that? Adahe shouts, startled at the incoming shot. SNAP! Another ball round impacts the aft of the rowboat, this time lower. Make no mistake! I shall see you again! A faded, deep voice shouts from the distant riverbank. Adahi finally sees a man through the smoke, of average height but standing tall and proud. Major General Ivy was in his blood-red overcoat with a black sash uncannily waving goodbye to them from the riverbank. The flintlock pistol in hand and the eerie half-smile he carried were the last things that Kingsbane saw of him. The imagery was seared into their minds.